the real catalyst is that I wanted to do the right thing for my patients. Mm -hmm. And I come back to this a lot. Every time I would make it about them and not about me, it was easier to take a step in the, in the right direction. Hey, what's up, it's Aaron, and you may not know this about me, but a few years ago, I was able to save $18,000 in taxes and max out my IRA as a PT, and I have a training that shows exactly how I did it. And I'm actually giving this training away for free to listeners like you who grab a ticket at the PT BizCon that's happening March 20th through 21st. On top of that, you'll also get a free copy of the PT Business Growth Manifesto, a brand new action guide we created where I share the top six lessons that the most successful PT business owners have learned the hard way. This guide can literally save you hundreds of hours of your own time and thousands of dollars. To get both of these free bonuses, just grab a ticket to PT BizCon before January 16th for just $197 at www.ptbizcon.com. That's P-T-B-I-Z-C-O-N.com. At the very least, just go check out the page ptbizcon.com to see who's going to be speaking there and why it's going to be an event you cannot miss. I'll see you there in March. Now enjoy the show. So the big question is, how can physical therapists create a successful career earning six figures or more and give patients the care they need without relying on insurance companies for reimbursement? If you wanna learn the answers to those questions and more, then you've come to the right place. My name is Dr. Aaron LeBauer, physical therapist, business coach, serial entrepreneur, and author of The Cash PT Blueprint. Thanks for joining me today. Hello, welcome to The Cash PT Lunch Hour Podcast. This is your host, Aaron LeBauer, and today my special guest is Sarah Heron. Sarah is a physical therapist. She's a CrossFit coach. She owns a PT business. She teaches an out-of-network course for ICE, and she has a consulting business, and what she does a bunch of other stuff. Um, she's doing some amazing things online, and I said we need to get her on the podcast and share what she's doing with you guys. And and she's a woman, and we're going to talk about how women in PT and women in coaching and women in fitness and business, etc., are impacting everybody and your life and all that great stuff today. So, Sarah, thank you so much for being here. I really yeah. appreciate you taking the time to join us. Yeah, thanks for having me, Erin. Really appreciate it. So I want to start. I always kind of like to start with like who you are a little bit and not just who you are, but like, how did you get into PT? How'd you get into doing this? Is there, was there like a, a, an event, a story, a something that happened where you were like, ah, this is the path for me. Yeah. Kind of interesting. And I think I love hearing these stories from people. So I'll, I'll try to keep it short. I never knew I wanted to be a physical therapist until I was in college. I never had physical therapy. I'd been a high level ballet dancer for a long time. And I, it was during a time frame where you didn't really send your kids to PT. So that was, and dancers don't tell their, their instructors or their parents that they're having pain. So I never really encountered that. Went to college, had really good grades and figured, oh, I'll go to medical school. That's what you do. So biology major, all that jazz decided that wasn't for me. Um, and my advisor encouraged me to go the exercise science route. You mm-hmm. know, you, you're interested in nutrition, you're interested in fitness and kinesiology, all of this stuff. You should do this. My senior year, I was like, well, I guess, am I going to be a PE teacher? Like, what am I going to do with this? 
my parents were like, are you going to teach ballet? Like, what are you going to do? Because I never played sports, never did anything like that. And I was like, well, obviously I'm going to PT school because that's the next step, right? So this was in 2004. I started PT school. And at that time, I think it was still, you know, not quite as competitive to get in. So I feel really lucky. I went right into PT school. Mm -hmm. Maybe that's not lucky. I don't know. I was really young in that program and I was very driven. And my mindset was like, I'm going to get this degree and then I'm going to be a PT. And I had no concept of what that meant. You know, I had spent lots of hours at this point volunteering in clinics and getting a feel for it, but I really didn't have any ambitions of starting my own practice or being a leader in the Mm -hmm. field at all. I think I knew I wanted to help people. I knew that I wanted to work with a dance population and that was about it. I grew up pretty modestly. And so I thought, oh, be able to like make some money this way. Right. And now that's a pretty funny like <laughs> side note. So <laughs> like I'll go get a good job and right. it'll be secure and Right. My parents are both were both teachers and um like I said we lived really modestly and I actually was like I'm never going to be a teacher. Yeah. <laughs> and now I am. <laughs> so, Where did you grow up? Um in Washington. Okay. You're yeah, near Seattle. Okay. Awesome. So, and I went to school at the University of Washington in Seattle and mm-hmm. um, have kind of stayed here. So, and then I, I went into outpatient physical therapy, kind of like big-ish practice. It was physical therapy owned, but there were nine clinics in our area and high volume. Not, it wasn't as bad as some of the examples that we hear about. Mm-hmm. We had 45 minute treatment time. So I probably saw like 13 people a day which is a lot, but it's not unreasonable. And as a new grad, I did get a lot of those reps in, right? And so, and I had good mentorship and I think it was, it was a fine first job. It sounds like a pretty good first job from the stories I hear. (laughs) Exactly. And I think that that's one of the things that's interesting in cash practice in the Northwest, at least. I don't know if it's that reimbursement is better here, but we still have a little bit of control over what appointments look like in mm-hmm. a lot of cases. And so, yeah, I think it was, it was pretty good. And I worked there for seven years. <laughs> wow. That's awesome. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, cause I mean, I know people who four patients an hour myself, I saw 43 patients one day as a student. I had a, yeah, that's one, nuts. I never one of my that. residents was pressured to like bill certain number of units, even if his patients were already better. And you know, it's, that's crazy. Right. So that, luckily for me, wasn't the case. And we did utilize ancillary staff. So Mm -hmm. we would hand our patient off to the exercise staff. And that was the piece that was starting to bother me as a, as a more experienced clinician. And I was starting to like hone in on the hip impingement population, which is Mm -hmm. big for me, which I'm sure we'll talk about. But so I was really specific with what I did or didn't want people doing. And that carryover, like things were just getting lost in translation. right? Right. So at that point I was thinking, I, I don't think this is the right fit for me, but it wasn't for like negative business reasons necessarily. Mm-hmm. And still I had no intention of starting my own practice. Yeah. What was it that like kept pushing the, pushing your buttons or pushed you forward? Well, so I went to a smaller clinic then and I worked there for two years. And at this smaller clinic, we had hour long sessions. I saw even fewer patients. I saw like seven people a day and it was great. I had a lot of autonomy, but I had no control over my schedule. Uh-huh. And that was the big thing. So both my personal schedule, getting time off because when I'm out, I'm not making money for the clinic. Right. Mm -hmm. So even if I'm saying like, I'll take unpaid time, it wasn't happening. And then also my patients, like if I have an opening and you put a new patient in there and I don't have another opening for eight weeks, that is so annoying to me. Mm -hmm. Like not only do I have other people that I want to take that spot, 
but I, I don't have room for this person. Right. And yes, I want to help them, but I'm not taking new patients right now. But that wasn't an option for me because I wasn't a, you know, I wasn't in an ownership position. Right. You weren't so, in control. <laughs> right. So at that, that was the point. So at this point I'd been practicing nine years now mm-hmm. and I was like, I guess I'm just going to have to leave the profession. Like, I don't, I don't know if I can, if this can be any better. Yeah. And my was husband, it, why no. was that so frustrating? Like, tell me about it. Was it the, was it your patients would come in and they'd be like, Sarah, I can't get in to see you. Like, like and what just, was it that was so difficult about that? I'm just such a people pleaser. And that is, I am a recovering people pleaser. <laughs> I'm working on that. Right. But it was really hard because I, I had a really high standard for what I wanted for these patients and doctors were referring specifically to me for specific things. Mm-hmm. And I wanted, I wanted to follow through on that. And it wasn't, it wasn't in my control. And I guess what I've realized is that con- controlling my, my practice, even, you know, I was a practice within a practice essentially, yeah. but I wasn't being treated that way. Mm-hmm. So I had this autonomous situation, but it wasn't actually that autonomous. Right. And I think in those two years and my clinical practice, you know, I'd been in the field for so long, I was kind of ready. And my husband was like, you're not leaving the field. That's silly. So you're going to start your own business. And I was like, right. uh, <laughs> So, so was it his idea, did he float the idea of starting your own business? Yeah. And, and I remember him saying like, I'll help you. Like, we'll just make it work. And then it was like a ton more work than we realized. Right. But it was okay. And interestingly, I was not planning on being cash practice. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of the, the interesting twist is that I was in a different position than a lot of my students or than a lot of the folks that you mentor because mm-hmm. I wasn't burnt out and frustrated by the insurance stuff necessarily. I mean, I was there, that was trickling in, but this was like 2015, 16. And I think it's gotten worse. Mm -hmm. Right. So I was more just looking to start my own practice. But what happened is I was not allowed to um, get in network in network with Primera. Oh, wow. Okay. They had closed their network to new providers. And because I'd been at a little clinic, we had individual contracts mm-hmm. and then I couldn't get in. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. That's crazy. But it's like, you're just trying yeah. to open a new business and yeah. go and network and they're like, Nope. <laughs> and so, and in Seattle, at least at the time, a lot of the Amazon employees had Primera and that was like a mm-hmm. huge cluster of my patients and I was not going to be able to take Primera. So I kind of freaked out. I called a woman who is a cash practice owner in yeah. Seattle and she and I chatted for a long time and I just kept coming back to, you know, I think eventually I would go out of network, but I wasn't planning on that at first. And she was like, just do it now. Yeah. <laughs> so I did. That's awesome. Um, so that's, and, and that's really roundabout, but it was not planned. It, it really now feels like it was the right decision, but I yeah. guess I didn't know that at the time. Yeah. That's great. So what year was that? 2015? 2016 is when oh. I officially opened. Okay. And what was it that, was there anything different? Were there... I guess like, what was it that helped you get from that point, that decision to just open your business, whether this insurance is going to let you in or not? Like what were, what were the steps you took that made you successful or that helped you along the way that, that you think might, you know, that, that some of the things that you share and teach through your course or like, what were those three or four things that you did that really helped you get to the success part? And I want to ask this because a lot of people have trouble just taking those first few steps yeah. because they, they're either not comfortable, they're too comfortable, they're, you know, there's something else missing, you know, for them. 
Yeah. You kind of know what I'm asking, right? I think so. Yeah. So selfishly, you know, I wanted to leave the previous clinic because I I needed a different, I needed something different for myself. But the the real catalyst is that I wanted to do the right thing for my patients. Mm -hmm. And I come back to this a lot. Every time I would make it about them and not about me, it was easier to take a step in in the right direction right? I'm doing this because this is the type of client I want to see. This is how I want to see them. And the only way I can do that is in this model mm-hmm. with me as the boss, <laughs> right? And it feels really uncomfortable. And it took a lot of practice and a lot of reps to make that feel good yeah. and to convince other people that that was the case, right? But that's, I just had to keep coming back to, no, this isn't me wanting to collect a bunch of money from people. This is me wanting to help the patient the best way that I can. Yeah. What got you over that mindset of, you know, like when people are paying me a copay to come see me versus now I can actually go and, you know, charge cash and it's probably not the same fee, right? It's probably copays were probably 50 to 80 bucks at that time. And you're charging a hundred or more. Yeah. You know, that's a big jump for a lot of people. What, what was it that helped you? Absolutely. I mean, and, and actually I would say copays were closer to 30 to 40 at that time in Seattle, at least. And I started charging 150. So I do think that experience, you know, at that point I was nine years in the field and I had quite a big like following of patients. I was very niche down with kind of like three main specialties. And I think that helped a lot because I had a reputation with the medical providers, even though they ended up not sending me any patients, right? Yeah. <laughs> but I did have word of, a lot of word of mouth recognition. And I already was involved in like CrossFit coaching and some of the dance communities, mm-hmm. stuff like that. So I think for me, it's a little bit different than some of the folks who are coming right out of school because I already had that. And I was at a point where it was like, I had nothing to lose. I wanted to quit my job. (laughs) So for me, I was like, well, if this doesn't work out, I'll just go work at Starbucks corporate. (laughs) I mean, (laughs) truly. Like Like as a PT or as a barista? (laughs) No, no. As like an admin person, because I thought like, I've already given a lot of myself to this profession and to these Mm -hmm. patients and I've done a good job. And that's okay if that's the end of this chapter. Um, I think that I wasn't, I didn't feel anymore like I needed to stay in the profession. So Mm -hmm. maybe it's that distance that I allowed myself that allowed me to like rebuild a passion for it. Yeah, that's awesome. I didn't have to force it. Yeah. But that's lucky me. I was or am married and my husband had like steady income. And there were lots Mm -hmm. of factors that played in my favor that aren't always the case for people who want to start going into this route. Yeah. What do you think, like looking back, is there something that you would have done differently getting started? Hmm. Yeah. I, I don't think that I would have opened a brick and mortar space right away. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So again, like so much has changed in the three or four years that I've been open that Now I see a lot more people having success, like starting a practice inside of a gym, Mm -hmm. inside of a Pilates studio or mobile, right? That, I don't think it really exists as much in Seattle anyway. I think that has a lot to do with our, like we're so tight space-wise, right? Like I've been coaching at my gym for six years. There's no room for me there. Mm -hmm. That That would be great, but there just isn't the space for me to rent out. And so I think also like I'd been working in big clinics, right? So I was used to like, I guess as a PT, you work in a clinic. Right. Um, and so I leased a space, <laughs> but that was a lot of money, right? Mm-hmm. And 
we had to do some remodeling and it was a big chunk of change. So that was happening at the same time that I learned I couldn't get a contract with Primera. So my world was rocked actually when I learned that I was going to have to be cash-based and then I'm like starting this business. So I just like had to, I think sometimes when you're like the fire is under you, you have to do it. Right. And I need that sometimes. Like I, I'm an overthinker. Mm -hmm. I will like mull things over to the grave and Sometimes you just need that little nudge. Yeah. It's, nudge. it's like you got to have your back to the wall a little bit. I think right? so. You know, I think I've, I encounter a lot of people that they're coming from like a really nice, you know, paying job. They got a lot of money coming from like a home health or skilled nursing or they've got a really good situation. There's no, there's no fire. There's no, they're, they're not being boxed in and they don't have the energy to fight themselves out. There's not, you know, there's not really a reason. You know, it sounds like you had a reason, but it wasn't the same, you know, it was like, I want to do more for my people, but it was probably, it sounds like you got to this point where I put down a bunch of money for like a brick and mortar clinic and then found out the insurance wasn't going to let you on the panel. And you're like, oh shit, what next? Yeah. Let's, let's do as best as we can and like go hundred yeah. percent. Right. Exactly. And, um, I have a, a long history of self-doubt mm-hmm. and I know a lot of people have that, but I have this group of people behind me, family, friends, colleagues who are always like, no, you got this. Like we look yeah. up to you. And I think I just like really tried to hear that this time because I needed to, mm-hmm. you know, I could have like thrown in the towel, but we were going to owe that money anyway. <laughs> so yeah. might as well try. Plus my patients were like, when can we get in? When can we get uh-huh. in as the build out was happening? That's awesome. So that's I knew, awesome. and it, you know, that's, it's tricky to share that because I know that that isn't the case for everybody. Mm-hmm. But I also think like for me, that's just h- how that path went. I, I think it's okay that I didn't have like dreams of being a business owner and I've had to like figure it out as I go mm-hmm. because I don't know. Maybe it's like more organic that way. I do think that when you try to push it too much or you're like trying to make it happen and then you're frustrated that it's not, that could be really disheartening. Mm -hmm. Right. And the illusion is that that's how I did it, but that's not true. Right. Right. Yeah. And I think a lot of times the illusion is, is that something doesn't work. That means I need to stop and I've failed rather than, you know, like I just need to try a new combination. Yeah, exactly. Like, okay, well, I guess we're going out of network now. (laughs) Right. What would you say were the, you know, one or two things that you did early on that really helped fuel your growth? And because now you've got another, another physical therapist or two working with you. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. So in just three years, you've got two PTs. Mm -hmm. Do you have admin staff or anybody like that? No. Okay. So, and that's, that's kind of interesting because I go back and forth if we need that or not. But Mm -hmm. right now, um, a lot of our systems are so automated that I don't feel like we need that. That's awesome. (laughs) I will say we have two unpaid volunteers. Mm -hmm. So we have a university like two blocks away from us and they have an exercise science undergrad program. And so I probably get once a quarter, I'll get an email from somebody asking if we are accepting volunteers. Mm-hmm. And I only take one or two of them at a time, but I, I make them commit to six months. And then I teach them how to make the super bills and they do all my cleaning and they do all of the scanning and shredding and all of that stuff. Because at the end of the day, they're going to get a great review from us. Mm-hmm. So that's like, that's what we do. And that's then awesome. I, I just gifted them Netter for Christmas. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> 
but they are happy to be in here because mm -hmm. we kind of have like a big open space so they can hear and learn and they're observing and stuff, yes. but we are getting, you know, admin from them. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. So um, what did you do early on that like helped you get to this point where within what, four years you're, you're employing two other PTs? Yeah. So one of the big things that we did or that I did is in all my extra time when I wasn't mm -hmm. seeing patients, I really just like locked down and wrote blogs and did social media and kind of put myself out there. You know, like I really struggled with getting comfortable writing blogs, especially because I didn't know how that would be perceived or I didn't want to put information out there that other people could judge. Right. But you just have to get over that mm -hmm. <laughs> because what I learned is that like the audience that's looking at somebody else's blog isn't necessarily the same audience that's looking at mine. And if right. I'm not plagiarizing, I'm just explaining something. It happens to be the same topic. That's fine. Mm -hmm. And so I think like getting content out there was, was king for me. Yeah. That's so cool. Yeah. I've, you know, I've heard, I mean, the same thing for me too, it's just the content and a lot of people are like, no one reads blogs anymore. Are you still like, are you still writing a blog and is it still effective? Um, well, it's interesting because, you know, you can do like your Google analytics for mm -hmm. how people find you. And there are two blog pieces that are like our biggest drivers of traffic. That's One awesome. is wrist pain in CrossFitters, mm -hmm. which is interesting because I, I don't actually think I've seen that many people <laughs> with that exact thing. Um, and one is a hip impingement piece because that's kind of one of our big specialties, but that drives a lot of people clicking in through our website, which brings our website up. And most of our patients, they come in because we have good ratings on Google. Yeah, that's awesome. So I would say, yeah, we have word of mouth referrals, but nine times mm -hmm. out of 10, when I ask somebody, if I don't know them from the gym mm -hmm. or from a previous like stint of care that we did, yeah. they usually say, I just found you on Google. Yeah, that's so awesome. That's really yeah. cool. I'm glad so, to see that works uh, in other parts of the country too. <laughs> yeah. I, um, yeah, content and then asking people for reviews. Mm -hmm. That was a really big key. And I actually learned that from my, my last employment stint mm -hmm. because we would ask for reviews to help. That was a small practice and that was something that they mm -hmm. had done. And I learned that from them and it's really valuable and really works. It is uncomfortable. Right. But it's not really that uncomfortable. You just have to practice. Yeah. What's the best way? Like, what do you say when you want to review? How do you ask? I usually just like if they're discharged or if they're doing well, but, but we're maybe decreasing their frequency. Mm -hmm. I'll say you have been doing so well. I'm so proud of you. You know, I love seeing patients like you. Would you mind writing a review about your experience here? And if you don't mind, go ahead and like insert in there that you're here for CrossFit because that helps us get more patients that are interested yeah. or doing and they're like oh okay, cool <laughs> you know <laughs> <That's awesome. laughs> they love to and then um we also when patients cancel or mm -hmm. like if they late cancel or no show yeah. sometimes we'll negotiate with them like we'll waive this fee but would you mind writing us a review and then they're like oh my gosh of course <laughs> oh that's great only if they're like a good patient that you know, that's not right. gonna write a bad review <laughs> that's right we don't have very many bad patients yeah right yeah. because it's not worth their time or energy or money. Right. hundred percent. So you mentioned some of the things that you guys do where you're seeing you're, you're, you're a dancer, you guys do CrossFit. Are, is that like your niche? Is it dancers and CrossFitters or is it like what you mentioned, treating people with a certain condition? Like yeah. So hip impingement really became a specialty of mine when like before I even started doing CrossFit. Mm -hmm. 
and CrossFit and strength training is what ultimately helped me get out of pain. Yeah. So sort of all of those three specialties blend together mm-hmm. for me, right? Hip impingement, dance rehab, and CrossFit rehab or, or functional fitness or strength yeah. training, whatever. So those are kind of our big three. Dan, our newest employee, it has an interest in the outdoor athlete. Mm-hmm. So like rock climbers, mountaineers, but he was a power lifter. So he also has all of that background yeah. knowledge. So, but those are kind of the big three that we advertise. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Awesome. And so with, uh, with multiple like niches, like, and you've got like this, like, uh, what I imagine is just like the hippie outdoor guy, you know, like rock climbing, canoeing. But he looks like a power lifter. He looks like a power lifter <laughs> because he has a big, long beard and big muscles. You know, when I, when I lived on the West coast, it was just long hair, no man buns, <laughs> long hair, skinny guys were like the hippie guys. And we did yeah. bikes and stuff. But anyways, I digress. Uh, so, but you've got multiple, like, it seems like you've got four or five different kind of specialties. How do you like market all of them or are you just focused on one or two? How does that work for you guys? So I would say we have four and, and I've done a lot of thinking about this and wanting to kind of cap it at that, mm-hmm. right? Because I do think there is, there is a tipping point of, do I become a generalist at this point? Are we like right. a general practice or do we niche down mm-hmm. now? being really niched at first was really helpful for me because people came because they wanted to be treated for hip impingement. They had failed PT elsewhere. And I was like the go-to hip girl over time though, in cash practice, I realized you don't say no to patients. Mm -hmm. Like you do not say no if they want to come see you because you have to pay your rent. So like, I think we do have a little bit of that because if somebody maybe was a CrossFitter and they were seeing us, but then their spouse isn't, they still want to see you though. Right. Right. So then it's tricky because I, we advertise these niches, but I would say, I, I would say half of our patients are hip impingement. Mm-hmm. Wow. Mm-hmm. Well, that's great. Yeah. So hip imp- hip impingement, is it, is it because, is that like, because it's a specific activity that people are doing with your, like with dancers and CrossFitters, or is that because that's what you did in people in Seattle? There are enough people in Seattle that know you to come there because they've got the hip impingement problem. Yeah, that's a great question. I, probably both. <laughs> um, so hip impingement is pretty prevalent in those communities, mm-hmm. but because of my personal struggle with it, yeah. I learned what was working and what wasn't working for me. And mm-hmm. I like after seeing multiple surgeons and deciding that wasn't the route for me, yeah. really found that surgery wasn't a good option for people because the outcomes were pretty poor. Mm-hmm. And I started like like stamping around about it, yeah. <laughs> like talking about it, yeah. making a big scene about it. And so then people were like, okay, well, what, are you, what do we do with these people? Right. And I started getting them strength training. And you know, I had started doing CrossFit, which was really important for me to mm-hmm. build that muscle to support that joint. Yeah. So what and, was going on? So what was going on? Like you at, were you, was this before you did CrossFit while you're dancing? Like what yep. was your hip impingement? Story? Oh yeah. So that started when I was 17 yeah. and I didn't report it. Uh-huh. Right. Cause I was pretty high level and didn't want to be cut, but yeah, I was having classic hip impingement symptoms. Mm-hmm. It wasn't until I was in PT school when we were learning about it that I was like, I have that. Yeah. <laughs> Right. And then when I was a physical therapist, you know, one of the perks of your job is that Mm -hmm. you can have other people treat you. So people were treating me with core stabilization only. Right. And like 
tractioning my hip and manipulating my lumbar spine. And that's fine. That stuff was okay, but it wasn't what I needed. Mm -hmm. And in fact, it was like making things worse, you know, lots of stretching, lots of stretching of the hip flexors. And again, just kind of yanking on that leg. And I just was like, I'm going to do something else on my own. So I started working out with a personal trainer and he got me squatting and deadlifting, which didn't hurt me. And I started to get stronger and stronger. Meanwhile, I had quit ballet and PT school. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, it t- I mean, it took six years for me to get pain-free, but I don't have yeah. hip pain anymore. Yeah, that's so awesome. So that's, that's the story that I write about. And yeah. then people get excited and they're like, I want to see you. Yeah. But I'm not really doing anything different. Right. I'm just talking about it. Right. Yeah, you're sharing your story, which is connecting to people. That's right. Right. I want to point that out. That that's really important because a lot of people are afraid to talk about themselves and share their story. And it just, it creates a disconnect. Wouldn't you agree? Oh yeah. And I think that connection is the number one key in marketing, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So you connect with somebody and then they, they trust you and you can share with them what you think and then move That's on. Awesome. Are the other people you're working with, other team members, are they, do they have similar stories? Are they writing blog posts and sharing their stuff to get and helping get patients yes. in that way? too? They are um, sharing their own stories and they have their own, you know, interests in different body areas, Mm -hmm. but Beth is also a CrossFit coach. So she and I have very similar mindset there. And then I've taught both of them sort of how I want the hip patients to be treated or not. Mm -hmm. You know, I I, I give a lot of autonomy and that was one of the things that helped me start my own business. Right. Yeah. But I do have certain things like you will not see. So as stretching in my clinic, period, (laughs) (laughs) that will be not happening. That's awesome. That's great. <laughs> you have like, so uh, I guess what I want to, the next thing I want to ask is, so a little bit about how you've, how your relationship and with you, the other team members you have, are they employees? Do they have like a uh, ownership in the business, phantom ownership? How are you able to like work that such that you're like, you're not stretching the psoas and you're going to okay. kind of start writing blog posts like this. How did, how did you yeah. develop that? Uh, say relationship or the compensation for their time and expertise. Yeah. So when I hired Beth, it was because I was at a tipping point of mm-hmm. seeing enough patients that there was some overflow, but I didn't really know what that was going to look like. And I told her that upon interviewing, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I said, I'm not sure what this is going to, you know, pan out, but here's what I would suggest. Mm-hmm. I can, pay, I can afford to pay you per patient that you see. You know, and it's hard because I had heard a lot about how you only can demonstrate value to an employee by putting them on salary Mm -hmm. and that that was really important. But I was like, well, I can't. (laughs) So I, I paid her a really high rate, hourly rate, and I pay an admin rate Mm -hmm. and I don't ask you to turn in what you're doing during your admin time. If you're doing notes during that time, I don't care. That's fine because I want you to have work-life balance. And if that's what that does and that makes you a quality clinician in here, then great. That's fine. It would behoove you to use your admin time to market yourself, Mm -hmm. right? Or, or write a blog or whatever. So I don't have a, I mean, we do have goals. We have quarterly or like annual meetings, like a review, right? Right. Or even at a staff meeting where I'll kind of say like, these are kind of the goals for this quarter. But I'm not going to hold their feet to the fire. If Beth wants to go to Thailand for three weeks, then mm-hmm. I want her to do that. <laughs> right. You know, but I, but I don't offer paid time off. So mm-hmm. that's the difference. Like 
you can use your time however you want. You can come in. You don't have to come in because that's what I didn't have. Right. And that's what I wanted for myself. That's awesome. <laughs> and so are they, are they each responsible for building their own caseload or are you taking on that role? And how does yeah, that work? so I do want them each to feel like they're a practice within a practice mm-hmm. and that they can grow in their specialties and advertise the way that they want to. But I also want this to be like patients come to Arrow now. Mm-hmm. It used to be that they came to Sarah Heron. Right. Right. But I've worked really hard, like combing through the website and changing wording a lot Mm -hmm. to make sure that it's not just that they're coming to me, but they're coming to Arrow. Yeah. And that was a mistake I made actually, because I didn't know I was going to hire. So on every piece of content, it's like, join me in this, you know, (laughs) you said to join us and we, yeah. Yeah. And then poor Beth would get somebody who was like, well, I guess I'll see you, but I really wanted to see Sarah. She's right. like, oh, great. <laughs> yeah. If no. someone calls and they're like, I got to see Sarah, like, how do you handle that? Because I know I get that question a lot. Yeah. So um, actually, when Dan hired on, his start date was November 1st this mm-hmm. year. I took myself off of the scheduler and I decided I'm not taking new patients for the remainder of 2019. Mm-hmm. And of course, like day one, somebody emailed me and they were like, hey, I really wanted to get in, but I'm looking on the scheduler and I can't find your name. You know, what's going on? And so I emailed them back and I said, I'm so glad that you've called. You know, I'm so sorry they're having pain, just my normal spiel. Mm -hmm. And I said, you're correct. I'm not taking new patients right now, but I highly recommend that you get started with one of these two. And I link their names and, you know, said, I recommend them equally. Yeah. Um, it's really important that we get you in as soon as possible because we want to get you out of pain or back to whatever. And I'm happy to see you down the road. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. <laughs> and then sometimes they're like, oh, well, I'll just wait till February. And I'm like, all right. Or sometimes they're like, okay. But it's my responsibility as a boss to, to like highlight my employees, mm-hmm. right? And that takes practice too, because it's really easy for people to be like, oh yeah, I am really good at hip impingement. You should come see me. I am the best. No, it's my responsibility to teach them Mm -hmm. how to help more people. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. I think people get stuck in that where they're, they're like, well, everyone else is going to have, you know, I'm full. I've got 40 people a week and my employees are only seeing 20 and they can't fill their schedule and I don't have enough time. And it's, it's like your ego getting in the way, right? That's it. Yeah. yeah. And that's on that employer to, mm-hmm. to work on that yeah. because it's not really like if I'm going to employ them and not make them independent contractors, it is sort of on arrow and me mm-hmm. to, to get those patients to schedule with them. Right. Right. Yep. And that's, that's an awesome like distinction of the two different, like it can work both ways where yeah. if I employ someone and give them a salary, it's my responsibility to fill their schedule and then, you know, if they're going to be on kind of a, uh, a commission basis, basically yeah. they have some responsibility, but I still have responsibility to them because yeah. I got to keep them happy and, and working because otherwise I don't have time off. Absolutely. But I also think that the benefit is that because there's not a salary, mm-hmm. there's less guilt mm-hmm. when they're, and when their schedule is lighter, right. if they're not like, in here folding towels. Like you can go, go for a long run or something. I don't care. Like I want you to have that work-life balance. And in that free time, if you're just grinding away blogging, that's cool Mm -hmm. too. 
Yeah, that's awesome. Do you have like a five-year vision for Aero PT Seattle to grow a certain like distance, yeah. size? Something I like don't that? know. It's so hard because looking back, like if I said what my five-year plan was five years ago, it was mm -hmm. to quit my job and work at Amazon, <laughs> right? So, um, and so much has happened mm -hmm. in the last three or four years that I didn't anticipate or expect. Yeah. In our current space, we have a, a lease that's another four years long. Mm -hmm. It was a seven-year lease, so maybe three years long. We don't really have room for more people. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't see us growing our practitioner base. What I am interested in is stepping back even further from patient mm -hmm. care so that I can focus more on teaching and, and helping to develop other yeah. clinicians who that's, are interested in, in business. Yeah, that's awesome. So you're, you've been doing that uh, for a little bit. I, I know you've been teaching a course out of step or out of network step-by-step step with uh -huh. ICE Physio. Yep. Yep. How did, and, and you're also doing some private coaching consulting. So how, yep. did, how did that come about and when did you start doing that? Yeah. So again, wasn't a plan. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I met, Jeff Moore, the CEO of ICE, uh, the Institute of Clinical Excellence, yep. and he was out in Seattle teaching a course, and had um, we had been in touch a little bit about the fitness athlete courses mm -hmm. that they teach because I had this CrossFit background, so I'd already been talking with those instructors, and he came to visit my clinic, and I was in the midst of hiring Beth at that same time, and so we were talking about that and talking about business, and then he was like, "Well, I think you should teach a class," and I was like, "No, I don't think so," um, and that conversation just continued until I said yes. Yeah. <laughs> so. I am the kind of person that, like I said earlier, I have to be kind of nudged in the right direction. Mm -hmm. But once I really can get over that and feel like, you know what, I'm doing this for other people. This is about them. And I have good information that I need. They deserve to hear. Yeah, that's cool. That's cool. And you've also, so you're, it's full draw consulting, which is kind of yeah. like the arrow thing, right? The bow, is there, yeah. Do you have like a connection with like the arrow or bow and arrow? Like what, is there a thing or is that um, just something... I've had, I have an arrow tattoo that I've had yeah. for a really long time, like before I was interested in this. So I always knew that would be my symbol, mm -hmm. but I never, I just couldn't think of a name yeah. and I just kept coming back to arrow. And my mom was like, well, it starts with a, so that's good. Let's just yeah. do that. Yeah, so. awesome. <laughs> but full draw came from arrow mm -hmm. and that the, the sort of private consulting again, just happened organically because people would contact me privately, yeah. especially people who already had a business running and mm -hmm. didn't need the step-by-step -step of how to do it, but needed like, what do you, how do I hire somebody right. or what do I do? How do I have this conversation with somebody who wants to come work with me or whatever? Mm -hmm. that's so awesome. that's kind of what that, that was about. That's cool. Yeah. So, and we talked a little bit before and when I was asking like some things about you want to talk about, you want you mentioned like, like women's role in, in the space. And I know like we've, I've discussed this on my podcast a couple of times before with other guests. Like I'm, I'm clearly like, a guy, you know, so I don't have the ability to speak for women and, but I do have a platform. And so I don't always know the right questions to ask. So maybe, can you share with me a little bit about your experience and, you know, what were some of the things that were difficult or easier for you and where do you see other people struggling and how might, like, like, I don't know, maybe tell me what's the exact question to ask so we can figure it out because I know like a majority of my coaching clients are women and majority of PTs are women. Yeah. yeah. Well, thank you for being vulnerable about that because 
I think that is the case and we don't know what we don't know, Mm -hmm. um, but it's still important to talk about. And I think that's one of the reasons that I took on the teaching role with ICE is that I I felt like a female needed to be in this space of Mm -hmm. business consulting. And I think a female who is, is transparent to say like, Hey, I get nervous too. It looks like I have my shit together and I don't, (laughs) right? Like, and that's okay. And so, and I think that that's really true for, uh, for males too. Mm -hmm. And again, like you said, I can't speak for males because I am a woman, but I would assume that that is true for a lot of people because at the end of the day, physical therapists are here to help other people. We're, we never went into this to make a lot of money. If you did, you picked the wrong profession, Mm -hmm. right? So we're, we're here to help people, but that that can end up meaning that we don't know how to talk about money. We don't know how to value our, our profession or our Mm -hmm. skills. Right. But the people who really struggle to get over that tend to be women. And I think that a lot of that is cultural. We are still being raised not to kind of ruffle feathers, not to be too outspoken, not to be vulgar. Mm -hmm. Right. And so so we're walking this fine line of like, listen to me and yet like be polite, <laughs> be put together, all of this stuff. Right. Additionally, I personally feel like there's an image of like, well, if you're a smart woman, you also like shouldn't be wearing lipstick mm-hmm. or wearing a bikini at the beach or whatever. Like you should be professional. Right. Well, I'm both. I have tattoos all over my arm. I have a nose ring. I like makeup. Like, I was a dancer. I like that stuff. (laughs) Right. But I also am a professional. So Mm -hmm. why shouldn't my voice be heard? And why am I damaging to that movement of women moving forward in business? I shouldn't. Right. And so I think more than ever, women are learning like to stop tearing each other down. Mm -hmm. Right. Especially in this space, like full draw has been a great opportunity for me to highlight other practices. That's like almost every day I like, prop somebody up and say, look at this practice. And a lot of times it's women because those are the people who follow me and those are the mm-hmm. people I follow, right? And it's important for me to lift them up because just like you said, I have a platform now. Right. Yeah, that's awesome. Is there something about physical therapy profession that, that's difficult for women to navigate business ownership and leadership roles? Because to me, it's like, yeah, majority of PTs are women. Uh, historically, professions have been women. And, you know, most of the leadership roles are filled by men. And yes, historically, there's a lot of women, but whether it's not leadership roles in the profession, but in business coaching, business consulting, teaching, clinical skills, etc. It's like, I don't know. I feel like it should be disproportionately women. Yes. That's my view, right? Yeah, I agree with that. Um, and I, I don't really know why other than my personal experience, which was, Mm -hmm. I felt like I didn't want to be judged. Right. Right. So I was uncomfortable putting myself out in front of other people. And I think that that's more common in women. Yeah. It's not, it's, it's not to say that that's not going to be seen in, in men, but I do think it's like a little bit more common to not want to put ourselves out there. Additionally, it's less common for us to ask for money. Right. Or maybe we ask for money, but we get turned down, but we don't push it. Right. Right. Right? Because when I would do that, and I've had lots of examples of where I've gone to a, to a superior and said, this is what I'm doing. And this is what I need. And this is what I expect. And I've been blown off or I've been 
like in so many words, sexually harassed about it. Mm-hmm. Right. And that just doesn't happen with men. It does, but it doesn't happen at the scale that it happens with women. And so over time, it's learned behavior to be like, fuck it, I'm not going to talk about it anymore. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that's, I think what's interesting to me is if you ask you, Aaron, you know, they'll say to me, Aaron, you're the only one or the first person. I'm like, no, man, I was just sharing what I did, right? I was sharing what I knew. I got a lot of heat for it. A lot of people around me were like, you can't say that. You can't do that. It's not going to work. All this stuff. And I can see where that's, it's totally intimidating, especially if it's happening in other areas of life. But like, I think that it, like, what would you say to someone who has knowledge and expertise that they want to share, but they're afraid to, because they think someone else is going to cut them down, you know? Yeah. I mean, I think that you have to ignore that. Yeah. I think that confidence is, is key. Right. And there's a few things that help with that. I think recognize your strengths and weaknesses, right? We all do that, but we need to like give weight to our strengths. Mm-hmm. So letting that person really reflect like, what am I good at? And, and give that some value because we always look at the negative and people will point out the negative. So you don't have mm-hmm. to do that to yourself, right? You're, you know what the negative is. So remind yourself of the positive. I also talk a lot in my course about fake it till you make it. Mm-hmm. I think that there's something really powerful about that. There's lots of TED Talks out there about that. You know, like our our postures can change our brain, can change what we say, right? right? And I think like that helps us to find find our voice, even if we're not confident, but then the reps help us, Mm -hmm. right? So I I would say I faked it until I made it quite a bit. Yeah, yeah. And I... I power posed right before I did this interview with right. you. That's awesome. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. We used to like in college, it was like, all right, you know, we're going to a party. We don't know anyone. All right. Let's yeah. just walk in. Like we know what we're doing. Yeah. And it, it was uncomfortable first few times and people go, Oh, <laughs> I still got ignored a lot, but you know, it's uh, it, it helps. It certainly does. Do you think that there's, I don't know, I guess the, I guess the last question is, are things changing? I do think so. Yeah. yeah, I do think so. Um, I can only speak to my area, right? Mm-hmm. I live in the Northwest. I live in Seattle, a progressive city. I do wonder, you know, what the lag is in the rest of the country because there there certainly is a lag in other social realms. But I do think it's changing. And I think that technology really does help us, right? Because now I have a network of women who mm-hmm. I work with, right? And uh, and and we support each other and we lift each other up. And I think for women to see other women doing it, that's the biggest thing. Mm-hmm. And now the internet helps with that, right? Because you can see it all. Yeah, that's so awesome. Yeah. That's really cool. So um, Sarah, is there a question that I did not ask that you think would hmm. would be helpful for people to know? Or I think I would just relay the same question to you in general. Like how do you suggest that people kick their kind of nervousness to the, to the curb. Mm-hmm. How do you get over that self-doubt? Right. Well, I, I mean, to me, it's, uh, it's the same thing that you just said, put you into business is focus on the patients. What do they need? Because it's bigger than ourselves. It, if there are people out there right now being told to go, the only answer is surgery for their back pain or for their, for their sprained ankle. I mean, I had this patient who had sprained an ankle. They couldn't find anything on the MRI or x-ray, and so they gave him a surgery, and they did, it still hurt, so they gave him a second surgery to clean it out. What? And then they were recommending a third surgery. I mean, there are people out there that 
need us and need to hear that there's an alternative. And if we are in touch with, that's my why, right? And if we're in touch with what our why is and why this is so important, it should transcend the fear of putting ourselves out there and being told we're stupid because we're helping someone. Yeah. And so my new why yeah. is that I want to empower other women, right? So it feels uncomfortable to be like, okay, now I'm going to teach this class because mm -hmm. I know everything. I do not. <laughs> right. But you get outside of my comfort zone and I'm like, okay, I want to help new business owners. And then I further get out of my comfort zone and say, Hey, I'm a woman too. Mm -hmm. I, I want to help you feel comfortable in this yeah. realm. That's so awesome. That's really cool. So yeah. if someone wants to learn more about you, they want to check out, they want to like, uh, what's it called? Internet stalk your practice yeah. <laughs> or check out uh, what you're doing with your con consulting or your course in ice. Where do they go to find you yeah. online or internet, social media stuff? Um, so I have, uh, Instagram accounts for all of those companies. <laughs> um, and the, the websites are really self explanatory, but Aero Physical Therapy Seattle, the website is aeroptseattle.com mm -hmm. and our Instagram handle is aeroptseattle. Full draw is fulldrawconsulting.com. I think the Instagram is just full draw. And then Institute of Clinical Excellence is ptonice.com. And they're on Instagram as Ice Physio. Okay. I -E. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. And we'll put all the links in the show okay. notes. But a lot of times people don't go to the show notes to find yeah, them. So yeah. Yeah. And I, I do have a course coming up in January. So if oh, people awesome. are interested. Yeah. So what's the course and what's it all about? So um, the course that I teach through the Institute of Clinical Excellence is called Out of Network Step-by-Step. Step, mm -hmm. And it's an eight-week online course. So it's... It's a lot of the how-tos, a lot of the business steps of how to get started. And then we work a lot on mindset as well. Huh. Awesome. We do, um, it's kind of self-paced, right? They do it online, but then every weekend we do a conference call where we all come together. We practice different things. We kind of troubleshoot things, practice those conversations. Right. All That's that awesome. And you do that a couple times a year or is it available? Yeah, we did four this year mm -hmm. and then we have two on the books so far for 2020. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. That sounds great. You're doing some really awesome stuff. And uh, it's been a while since I've been out to see Seattle, but um, I need to get out to the Northwest again. Soon. Yeah. Come on by. Our clinic is right across the street from a brewery. So. Oh, really? Oh, awesome. Very cool. Well, thank you so much for being on the show. I really appreciate you spending time with us today um, and sharing your knowledge and expertise. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, Erin. It was great to meet you. Yeah, absolutely. We'll look forward to meeting you in person. Yeah. And well, for the Catch BD Lunch Hour, this is Aaron LeBauer and Sarah Heron. And get out there, share your story, and just do it. And we'll see you on the next show. Hey, what's up? It's Aaron. Real quick, if you're just starting a cash-based physical therapy practice, or you already have one, and you want to learn how to grow it and scale it, this is for you. I just released my brand new book, The Cash PT Blueprint, because I want to get this book in the hands of every physical therapist out there. I want to give it away to you for free. All I ask is that you pay a little bit of shipping and handling, and you'll not only get the steps to create your own cash practice, but the tools to grow it and scale it beyond what everyone else thinks is possible. To snag your copy right now, go to cashptblueprintbook.com. That's C-A-S-H-P-T-B-L-U-E-P-R-I-N-T-B-O-O-K.com. And we get your copy, give me a shout out somewhere on social media, and we'll talk to you soon.